0: Good morning, everyone. Our scripture today comes from Ephesians 3:14 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with the power of his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. All right. Good morning everyone. Thank you for being here to celebrate with us on University Sunday. My name is Sydney. In our passage for today, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus saying, "I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge." I was born and raised in rural Colorado, so the culture shock when I came to Berkeley was very real. When my parents dropped me off, it felt like they left me on an entirely new planet. As happy as I was to be on the West Coast and at this university, I, like I think everyone else would be in that situation, um, was nervous about the change. I wondered who I would meet, what friends I would make, and would I make any friends? I found First Press by accident on my second Sunday in Berkeley. I was overwhelmed by driving in the city on the narrow one-way streets, and I realized I wasn't going to make the original service I had planned on going to because I was already running a bit late, but um, I went to Google and I saw that I could make the service at First Press. I had no idea what a Presbyterian was. Um, (laughs) Upon entering the building, I was approached by a pastor who looked at me and said, are you a college student, which I said, yeah and he introduced me to two people who would later become my best friends, and they're both here today with me. A year later, I moved into the 242 house, and I've called it home ever since. The ministry of the 242 house has brought so much light into my life and into the lives of so many others. I grew up in church, raised by the best parents in the world who taught me that everyone is created in the image of God and that everyone deserves my respect. But during my time at Berkeley, I've come to a deeper understanding of what it means to be an image bearer of God. It means that the more people we meet, the more we can learn about the identity of God. Community is vital to understanding God, understanding ourselves, and I know that God is at work everywhere, creating communities and opening doors for life-giving relationships. God has placed so many wonderful people in my life, and I'd like to thank some of them now, without their knowledge. Tom and Janie Elson, who have opened their home to me and their wallets to buy us lunch um, over the years. I love you guys. Charlene and Michelle, who I don't think are here, but they were the first women I saw preaching at the pulpit. And Kathy Tempty, who stepped into an upended ministry and managed to make every single person feel welcome. And of course, to my housemates, who have seen me at my worst, you know, in the kitchen at 2 a.m., making dinner and who have celebrated every college victory I've ever had with me. I'm deeply and profoundly grateful for the community of saints that I've found here at First Pres, and I'm excited to venture out into the world to meet more people and learn more about the love of God.
1: I
2: Good morning, my name is Van Vanha, I'm a graduate student here at UC Berkeley. Coming to grad school, I had two simple goals in mind, to achieve my PhD, and to be a good person where God has placed me. One of the themes that we like to talk about at Veritas Grad Fellowship here is flourishing in grad school. But grad school can feel discouraging and exhausting at times, and rather than flourishing, I'm thinking about just getting through. And academia can also be seen to value metrics that require you to be selfish with your time. So I I have especially struggled with feeling like my time is a precious commodity that I should solely be be devoting to my work in order to succeed and to compete. However, I know that I have God to lean on for support, energy, and joy. To not just get through, but to really flourish. That God wants me to rest, to flourish, to succeed. My ESV Bible titles this passage, Prayer for Spiritual Strength. A prayer for physical and spiritual strength is one I found myself praying quite often. Like trees planted by streams of water, I can trust that we are being rooted and grounded in love to thrive where God has placed us and God has placed me here. I can rely on his strength to push back that nagging in my head that I should be using my time towards my work. And I can instead continue to bear fruits of love and care towards others with joyful selflessness. But God's faithfulness didn't stop with only being a pillar of support for me. He has continually reminded me that he cares about every aspect of my life, not just about the community, relationships, and people, but even my work and career. He has provided far more abundantly than all that I've ever asked or thought. In every aspect of where I decided to put my time into, God had even bigger plans. I'll share four brief examples. One, as an undergrad at Cornell, I was Usher coordinator for my local church and the an unofficial official photographer for my undergrad campus fellowship. Having formed lifelong friendships and relationships from these communities, I knew I wanted to find a church. Maybe also a campus fellowship, if I had the time in grad school. But grad school and time is difficult. But not only have I formed amazing relationships here at First Prez and felt deeply supported through the years, God also had plans for me to be a leader of Veritas Grad Fellowship And then even being a deacon here, which I definitely had no plans for, maybe in a few decades. (laughs) But through that, through the wonderful people, uh, the wonderful pastors, I have deeply learned a lot about how to care for others. Two, I have enjoyed photography, just capturing moments of community and God's love. And God elevated the simple fun side hobby to so much more where my hobbies and my photos have brought joy and blessings to others, like providing wedding photos for friends. Three, of course, I wanted to do good research and complete my PhD. I had lowered my expectations, knowing that I wasn't prioritizing research with my time, but God supported and blessed me with more success than I could even imagine, landing a future research position at Princeton with a big-name professor in my field of study a great stepping stone for my future in wanting to stay in academia, to be a professor for students. Four, I wanted to teach and mentor students, though very time and energy consuming. Pouring God's love onto students through my teaching has been one of my favorite parts of grad school, and God definitely greatly poured into my teaching. So in my communities, hobbies, work, and passion, God has multiplied my time, multi-fold, and demonstrated his love and me to do so much more during my time in grad school than I had ever expected to, even elevating me to positions where it could really impact students' lives. I've explored not only the knowledge of the breadth and depths and wonders of our biological cells and molecules through my research, but also further experienced the roles and the measurable dimensions of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And I'm excited to see what God has in store for my next chapter, and more motivated than ever for his calling for me. Thank you.
3: Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Good morning. I would like to share about the way God blessed me through the house, the church, and however, these past two years, I got to understand that we have a living God who truly loves and cares about us. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Toma Cuyate, and I live in the 242 house. I remember receiving my transfer acceptance letter two years ago, and feeling God calling me to UC Berkeley. Berkeley was not my first choice. <laughs> <laughs> I had never toured the campus before. I grew up in Senegal, West Africa, and, was an inter- and I'm an international student, and have never been in the area. This brought a lot of stress, and I- as I was getting ready to move, the main one being looking for housing. I was talking about it often with my sister, and one day, having lunch, I think she was tired of me and annoyed, and she asked me, okay, Thomas, what is your perfect housing option? What I shared about with her was nothing close to what God had in store for me. A Couple of weeks later, I asked a family friend who went to UC Berkeley and graduated a couple of years ago where she lived while in college, and this was the only friend from Berkeley that I knew of. She told me she lived in a house owned by a church that was called the 242 house. After all of my other housing opportunities got turned down, I decided to call First Press. (laughs) I remember talking with Joe Tackwell at the time, who told me a minute into the conversation, we were literally praying for one more person to apply to the house when you called. And we're looking for one more resident. I was really speechless. I then talked to Tim, and was introduced to the idea of serving in one of the church departments, which is when I picked the youth program. I am so grateful to have been surrounded by this loving community. It has been an honor to serve under Dave and Merlia Carranza, thank you, and also as a youth leader and get to know some of the youth. Some of you guys are here in the service and I'll be missing you all. And also I cannot wait to see what God will do for you. Those two years really went by so fast. Verses 20 and 21 of today's passage were the exact one I told my sister after sharing how God opened the door for me to be part of this community. The verses say, now to him, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generation, forever and ever. God did accomplish abundantly far more than all I could have asked or imagined. During those two years, the Holy Spirit worked in me and grew me in my trust in him. He has been taking care of me on countless occasions through so many of you present here in the church, to my roommates, my Christian friends, my family, or even classmates. I would like to end by thanking each one of you and by encouraging you God is a good shepherd, and Jesus loves us. He deeply and truly cares about his children. His heart burns for us. We do not have to get better, know more, understand more, or be right in our own eyes. He accomplished everything. The truth is, we are nothing without Jesus. And I want to encourage you to keep your eyes on him, refocus all that you are and all that you have on him. We serve a living God who speaks, who acts, and who lives in us. He wants to have an intimate relationship that takes place between you and him. He loves you, and he wants to mold you more like Jesus, which in my opinion, and through my experience, is the only person that life is truly worth living for. Thank you.
1: the fourth student to speak. <laughs> um, they're great, aren't they? I mean, it has been such a privilege. It's been such a privilege to get to know some of them and to be participants with them and to talk with Kathy. Kathy and I talk about the 242 house and about FOCUS all the time and the wonderful things that God is doing there. So thank you, Kathy, and the rest of you for uh, changing us because of your life and faith. I do want to take just a pastoral moment. Uh, Most of you already know that Earl Palmer died this last Tuesday morning. Earl was the pastor here in the late 60s, 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And he helped us all understand the meaning of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Some of us in what was called at one time the Young Presbyterian Pastors Conference, uh, after it changed its name to West Coast Presbyterian Pastors, we, we honored Earl, but we called Earl a Christocentric pastor, teacher, friend. A Christocentric, that is Christ-centered, pastor, teacher, friend. Christ was the center of everything Earl did in those uh, magnificent discussions that he would have or preaching moments that he he did. Um, It's appropriate, I think, to mention Earl today because Earl also had a real concern and love and interest in university ministry, and uh, the two today seem to fit well together. Earl's memorial service will be at, at Uni- University Press uh, in Seattle on June 24th at 11 o'clock. What we're hoping to do is to gather people here at that same time. It'll be live streamed, and we will gather um, with one another. We'll, we'll come up with more details about that, but um, we would love to have you join us for those moments. Earl, in his final commentary, some of you may have this, uh, called to be a people of the gospel, St. Paul's New Testament letter to the Ephesians. Uh, In his comments on this particular passage that the students picked, this is their choice uh, that they picked, he has these words. The large, expanded vision and its challenge to the believers who receive this letter to the Ephesians invites them to share the message of welcome and inclusion. In the final sentences of the prayer, St. Paul shares the results of that true mystery, that ordinary believers may be filled with all the fullness of God and may experience the love of Jesus Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's the hope that we have in Christ. That's the hope that we have as we look at the person of Christ and as we try to follow Christ as we are beckoned into this new life of following Christ. Uh, There are new possibilities because Christ has called us into life. This morning I want to talk a little bit about that, but I want to do so in the context of endings and beginnings. Uh, for y- those of you who are university students graduating or grad students finishing, uh, this is an ending for you. Uh, it's an ending that will open up new possibilities, new hopes, new dreams. Uh, so it is also a beginning, um, even as it is an ending. And I think of Earl, Earl's family, uh, Shirley and the, the children and grandchildren. This is also a new beginning for them. Uh, One season is now past, a new season is opening up. That's true for each one of us. As we live our life, there are times in our life when situations happen, a death may happen, a change of job, an ending has taken place. And the question is, what will that new beginning look like? What will that new beginning bring to us? And I think there's a combination of what we bring to it and what God has done and is giving to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, Keb Moe, some of you know him, not by person, but by music. He's a Grammy-winning American blues musician. He has uh, one of my favorite songs is called Suitcase. Um, It's about a person who has um, a suitcase, carries it everywhere he goes. Uh, and he's wanting to begin a new relationship. And so uh, he meets this woman and the two of them hit it off. And so they decide that they're going to uh, develop their relationship together. And he, but he says he has this suitcase and he takes it, or he sings this, he takes it everywhere he goes. And so he brings it into this new relationship and he knows it's not going to be good because the suitcase is filled with trouble. It's filled with a bag of trouble and whether it's his anger or whether it's his broken relationships or whether it's an experience that he's had, this particular suitcase, it doesn't have everything in his life but it has lots of trouble that he has gone through and he's now dragging that into this new relationship and he knows it's not going to be good. And so they begin this relationship and what he realizes, what he discovers is that she has a suitcase too. Um, And so she has her suitcase, so they decide to combine their suitcases. They put them together, and so they're mixing all of these troubles uh, together, because she has some of the same troubles that he does. Well along comes the children, and what do they do? Well, they give the kids suitcases too, right? So everybody has a suitcase of their past troubles and so forth. So we drag our suitcases full of troubles into these new possibilities, into these new relationships, into our new beginnings. I I don't know about you, but I still am carrying some of my troubles from childhood. I still have part of those in my suitcase. I don't want them in my suitcase anymore. And yet, here they are, um, and I'm going along trying to maintain and live with those suitcases. But there is a different way that we can live. Listen to these words from Helmut Tilika in his book, Life Can Begin Again, Sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, the proclaimer of the Sermon on the Mount says to us, before you begin intelligently to strike out on a new path and make a fresh start of life, you must first realize that everything that lies behind you has been set straight. That someone else has taken on your burdens and that now you can really begin your new excuse me your new life. Life as a traveler without luggage. A traveler without luggage a future has been given to you, and this is the part that comes to us, it's not something that we've created, a a future has been given to you, the air is full of promises, the ship of your life and history itself is sailing towards a harbor where you are expected and your safety is assured. You are still pitching upon the hazardous waves and hurricanes roar and strike terror in your hearts, but Something has happened that will bring you all your ways and wanderings to this goal. That will cause a future prepared for you in grace to come upon you. That's not with the suitcase. The suitcase has been taken care of. The suitcase has been nailed to the cross. There is a new possibility, a new reality that stands there in front of you. As St. Paul would say in Second uh, in Corinthians, the old has passed, behold, the new has come. We don't need that suitcase. And yet often we carry it around, right? We carry it around with us. And I wanna talk a little bit about the difference between carrying that suitcase and what Christ has done for us. Because we carry that suitcase. If we look at the endings of the Gospels, the four Gospels, What we see is that there are still things that we try and put in that suitcase, even though Christ has already taken care of it. Right. So if you look at the Gospel of Mark, at the end of the Gospel of Mark, what do you have? You have this wonderful idea or or reality that there's an empty tomb, the women are there, they're ready to finish uh, burying Jesus, and the tomb is open, he's not there, they don't know what has happened, is it true or is it not true, what in the world is going on, and all of a sudden they run away, they say nothing to anybody, and they leave with fear. They've put fear into their suitcase. Do they need to put fear into their suitcase? No. If you go then to the Gospel of Luke, what you see is that in Luke's Gospel, the the women now do go to the men, and they tell them, hey, Jesus has been... uh, Hey, they may not have said hey, but... uh, (laughs) The the, the tomb is empty. Help us. What do we do? And so Simon Peter goes, and he runs and looks and wonders... um, But then there are these two people, and if Michelle uh, is correct in telling us, it's Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas, and they're walking to their home in Emmaus, and there's this person, there's this thing that is walking by them, this unrecognized presence. At this point, they're still spiritually blind. Their hearts are burning, yes, inside of them because of what has been said to them by this person about the scriptures. But they're still spiritually blind. Their hope is beginning to be built up again, but they don't know what had happened. And then all of a sudden, in the breaking of bread, they recognize that it's Jesus, and he leaves. But their spiritual blindness, maybe they put that in their suitcase. When you come to the Gospel of Matthew, what you have is that women not only go and tell the men, and they tell them that Jesus is going to meet them in Galilee. They go to Galilee, and all of a sudden, they're all there, and they're worshiping, and they're doubting. And the question is, is there more doubt than worship? Have they put doubt in their suitcase? And do we put doubt in our suitcase? And then we come to the fourth gospel. And in the fourth gospel, again, there's this spiritual blindness. There's this lostness that Mary seems to have. She doesn't know. So she's talking to the gardener. And finally, the gardener says, and this is, I think, one of the sweetest and most important statements in in all of these uh, stories. The gardener simply says to her, Mary, Mary. The gardener knows her name. It's not the gardener. It's the one who created the garden. And there he is saying her name. And then you go back up to Galilee and the seven of the disciples are fishing again and all of a sudden there's somebody on the shore that helps him catch a great catch of fish and Jesus then restores Simon Peter feed my sheep tend my lambs feed my lambs and he's not satisfied he's happy to have this call this responsibility but he's not quite satisfied and so he turns and he sees the beloved disciple behind him and he says well what about him and Jesus says that's my business not yours and here I want to conclude then with something that Earl loved. I remember this sermon, maybe you remember too, when he talked about uh, this passage in the Gospel of John. And he, he reminded us through uh, the Chronicles, through the, uh, horse, the horse and his boy. No, the horse, yeah. Uh, he reminded us of what Aslan said to uh, Shasta. So the, the thing is that there is this unknown presence and Shasta is trying to figure out who it is or what it is. Is Is it is it alive? Is it dead? Is it a, a dangerous? Is it a lion? What What is it? And so we go through this whole process and then he realizes that it, this person or this thing next to him actually hurt his friend. And he says... To him, he could bear it no longer. Who are you? Uh, He said this scarcely above a whisper. One who has waited long for you to speak. Jesus is waiting for us to speak, to call him, and to call him by name. And so this, uh, this discussion goes on for a while. And then uh, Shasta says, Then it was you who wounded Erevas. It was I. But what for, child? Said the voice. I am telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Jesus tells us no story but our own. However you approach this ending and beginning of life, of this new season in your life, know that someone has already taken your suitcase and deposited it on the cross. The fear that you might have and packed away in your suitcase has been dealt with. The spiritual blindness, loss of hope that you may have has been dealt with. Perhaps you carry both worship and doubt, and that doubt has also been taken care of. Not that doubt is wrong, but that doubt can be encapsulated with worship. And there's no longer judgment or jealousy. Jesus tells you your story, not somebody else's. So leave the suitcase at the cross. Travel without luggage, and have a great journey. Amen.